From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Hey, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, um, we've been working through Book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in there for quite a while. We just finished up chapter 11. Uh, we did three weeks on the, the bread and the cup, the statement we just read, actually. We did three weeks looking at that, and I would encourage you to catch those sessions. If you miss, miss them, they're on the website, vintagecitychurch.com. Just hit the Listen tab, and you can listen to those teachings. Also, for some of you, if you're interested, we do make uh, the teaching notes available. If, you like, if you're more of a, a note person and you want to be able to work through those, those are available. You just go to the Vintage Guest Wireless Network. Password is Vintage Lowercase, and you'll see an opportunity to download those, those teaching notes if you want them. Um, hey, we have, we have some guests with us today, and I don't, I don't see him in the room right now, but Dr. Jay LaRue and his wife Linda are with us uh, today. And um, I want to give him a warm welcome, and we'll welcome him even if he's not in the room. So put your hand together for him. And some of you may wonder, well, if he's here, why isn't he teaching? Well, because um, the LaRue's function in Belinda and my life in a position in our government called overseer, and that position... Um, it's just a, it's, it's a choice that we've made to submit our lives to some people that we trust who, can, who are older in the faith. They've, they've seen more life than we have, and they can walk with us and, and love on us and coach us. And uh, So part of that is I invite him to just come in and watch over me for a weekend and just give me feedback on how he thinks we're doing as, as a church and as a leader. And then he'll be with us on Wednesday night and Thursday night this week, 7 o'clock. From 7 to 9 p.m., we'll be here at the building, and then he'll be with us next Sunday morning as well. The, the Wednesday and Thursday night is a standalone teaching session. Their two nights are together. Uh, we're working through understanding the heart of God and the prophetic. I've already had the privilege of seeing the outline. You don't want to miss it. Um, the Sunday morning will be standalone as well. So I would love it and encourage you, if you can, make them all. We'll probably worship for 15 to 20 minutes, Lord willing. Um, you know, we're not very good at short worship, but we try. Um, but we'll try to, we're going to try to keep it tight because I really want to give time for the scriptures. And I've asked Dr. J to just teach. And uh, what some of you don't know is he's, he's a professor at Bible college. Um, and so he is uh, one of my favorite people to listen to just break the scriptures down. So I'm looking forward to that. This morning, it's appropriate. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We've been in 11, moving into 12. And in chapter 12, if, if you remember when we are in the book of Corinthians... We're looking at this book with, with a unique lens, and the lens is this. It's that Paul is writing this letter to a young church. He's writing it to help them establish, help them work through the pitfalls of gathering, and learn what it looks like to become the family of God. And so in chapter 12, Paul will open up and he'll make this statement to them. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I will write about the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to each of us, for I must correct your misunderstandings about them. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know how to discern what is truly from God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can curse Jesus, and no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord we are serving. There are, different, 
There are different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So we're going to take a look this morning at this, this idea called spiritual gifts. And here's my request. Depending on your bent, depending on your history, all of us, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, probably have a way that applies that's unique. Some of you, like me, grew up in, in what I call crazy Pentecost. Um, and then I transitioned to not so crazy charismatic. And then for a while, I left both of those things and went towards the academic side of the church because I was just interested in, in where the brain power was at instead of the, the feel stuff. Here's what I would love to request as we head into this teaching. Can we approach this idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in neutrality and just come to it and allow the scriptures to teach us about what this is? I will say this from the beginning. This is a theological position. This is not an opinion. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not a charismatic denominational issue. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the releasing of gifting to man through God in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the kingdom. Some of you maybe have grown up in environments where the gifts of the Spirit were maybe taught that they used to exist, but they don't now. Some of you maybe have been taught that everybody should function in all of them. I just want to come to it neutral. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning setting the table for a conversation that's going to take a few weeks to get through this. We're going to take our time and study it. I'll come back in a couple weeks and we'll talk about it. But Paul's statement here, dear brothers and sisters, I want to write about the special abilities. This word special abilities is the word pneumatikos in the Greek, and it literally means the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's establish that idea. Paul's talking about the things the Holy Spirit does, but he does them through us. I, I don't want you to misunderstand is a word phrase that in the Greek means to be ignorant or without proper information. And the idea is to make mistakes because you don't have proper intel. So from that, I want to just state a few premises to consider. It is possible to misunderstand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's very likely without these teachings of Paul. And when we misunderstand, that generally leads us to misuse misinterpretation, and unfortunately can set us up to embrace counterfeit. So it's vital that we understand this work of the Holy Spirit. I would say it this way, knowledge of how the Holy Spirit moves and how to discern these movements is available to us, and we're encouraged to know it. On this issue of the Holy Spirit, it is not okay for us to put our head in the sand and say, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm a Bible person. You cannot be a Bible person and not be a Holy Spirit person. Just think that one through logically. It makes total sense. Because the Holy Spirit is graced to us, released to us, given to us. Jesus will say this. It's a statement that I love. One of my favorite statements that he makes. Think about the weight on this statement. He says to the disciples, it's necessary that I leave because it's going to get better for you. If I don't leave, the comforter won't come. To the people who were around him all the time, they had his very physical presence with them. He says to them, it's going to get better for you when I go. 
which means the Holy Spirit given by God, expressed to humanity, is a greater grace for us than even having Jesus here in the flesh was. That's crazy to consider. But Jesus himself says to the disciples, it's getting better for you. So I want to embrace the more, the better, what the Lord has for us. And Paul says these are gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. So they're good things and they have a great purpose. And he goes instantly into this different place where he leaves this idea of, this, of gifts and he starts talking to them about their history when they were pagans. Their pagans are people that are godless and they don't have a relationship with God and, and they've, they've been living on their own. He just says, you know, when you were still pagans, you worshipped speechless idols. You were worshipping speechless idols. This phrase, still pagans, he's addressing in them their tendencies when they were without Jesus prior. There's two word phrases I want us to look at. One is led astray, and the root word carries the idea of being incarcerated. It's the idea of someone being led to prison or led to trial. It's, literally, it just means to be under someone else's control. So Paul says, there's a tendency in you to give yourself to the control of something else. Speech, speechless idols, mute idols is the phrase he uses. And the root idea for this idol is something seen. How many have taken a four-year-old to Target? How many realize how much idolatry there is in a four-year-old in Target? You take them down the toy. I remember I hated it so bad. We would, go, we would go for something that had nothing to do with the toy aisle and spend 20 minutes in the toy aisle. And the entire time when my boys were little, my answer was no. So I got smart and I started giving them a dollar each. Go figure it out. And what, what happened was my little guy, super decisive, walk in, I want that. His older brother would be like, well, if there's money left over, can I use it? And he would negotiate the rest of his funds. But it's this same idea is to be led astray by what we see. It's something that woos our attention. We're like, ooh, I gotta have that. And so Paul's saying to them, this is how you were before. What I want us to grab out of that is a very important principle. There is a hardwired tendency in humanity towards idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is simply this. It's when I allow something other than God to control my decision-making and my life direction. Whether it's an animate object or an inanimate object. It can be a person. It can be a job. It can be a belief. Anything other than God is idolatry. And what Paul's saying is, there's a tendency in humanity to move into idolatry and hand ourselves over and become the slaves of these things. Why would Paul bring that up? It seems very strange for Paul to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these graces of God given to his people, and then say, by the way, remember, you were pagans and you, you worshiped speech, speechless idols. They don't even seem like these two ideas fit. Here's what I think is important for us to grab out of that. What Paul is highlighting is that that tendency in humanity doesn't necessarily leave when we come to Jesus. It's worked out through discipleship. Why is that important? What it means is we're always in a struggle with what we worship. How many would say, in my own life, I've struggled with just pure worship of God? Sometimes I worship other things. Let me paint it for you more clearly. Anything in your life that you know the Lord's saying, hey, you should give that up, you're like, nope, I need it. That's idolatry. That means you're struggling with worship. You remember some of you when you were dating, maybe were in a relationship where you knew the Lord was saying, hey, give me that relationship. You're like, nope, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. I know what's best for me. 
You see, that's the root of idolatry. I know what's best for me. And Paul says this tendency's in us. This tendency to elevate things and, and just hand ourselves over to them and, and worship them and kind of get addicted and out of control. I think it's interesting that Paul will highlight speechless idols because he's juxtaposing something. He's bringing before them the reality of speechless gods that are mute and they can't talk. Why is he saying that? Why is he drawing their attention to that? Why would he be doing that? Because our God talks. Because our God talks. And he's drawing a parallel saying, look, you had a tendency to give yourself to the worship of these dumb idols is the real word in the Greek. It means they're just, they're, there's no intellect in them. And yet you have a living, breathing, talking Savior who wants every relationship with you. It doesn't even make sense. So he gives them some rules. And he says, I want you to know how to discern what's truly from God. So I want you to know how to discern what's truly from God. His word phrase, so I want you to know, literally needs to be understood. Because of this tendency in you to chase after idols, I want to give you some rules that will protect you. And then he drops this phrase that I don't know about you, but for me it's always been incredibly confusing. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can curse Jesus, and no one's able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you were raised like I was, anybody that took the Lord's name in vain was guilty of this, because that's what that meant. And I look at it, and I'm like, that can't be what it means. There's got to be more to this. He's giving them a filter. That doesn't feel like a filter. That doesn't feel like something that's applicable. If we study the original language, we understand what's important. There's two rules that are hidden in this. Rule number one is... The Holy Spirit never inspires nor influences anyone to say anathema. Anathema, is, that's the original word. If we look at it in the Greek, that's the word that was said. And the word means this, banned or excommunicated. The implied idea is to draw attention away or lead another away from or divert attention from Jesus. And Paul says the Holy Spirit's never part of that. Any work, any communication, word, or ministry that draws away from Jesus is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul's first rule, real simple. Guys, it's really easy. Holy Spirit's never gonna be part of any ministry, any expression, any gift, any grace. He's never gonna be part of any of those if they're drawing away from Jesus, if they're causing us to not trust on him. You know what I thought of this week when I was studying this? I wonder how much of my parenting is Holy Spirit inspired. Am I drawing my kids' attention to the king to lean on him or am I calling them to me to follow my rules? Let that one bake your noodle. My job is to teach those around me to lean on Jesus. It's to promote in them a dependence on him. It's not to draw them to myself. It's not to teach them to trust me. It's to teach them to trust him. Discipleship is a phrase in the culture of the church that sometimes gets confused. I'll just give you my simple idea of what I think discipleship really is. We are making disciples of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is discipling each of us uniquely. My job is to walk alongside of those around me and say, hey, what's he telling you to do? This. Okay, cool, you should do that. And we're so hardwired to want somebody else at the helm of our life. Just give me a list. Tell me what to do. And that's not the way our king works. He's a personal God. 
And I thou encounter who wants to have a conversation with you that says, no, no, you're my son. You're a true son. You're a true daughter. You do not have to have a filter to teach you. I will be your leader. The second rule that Paul states is this. The Holy Spirit always inspires and influences the statement of supreme. The word is kuros. It means supreme in authority, lord or ruler. In essence, it's an elevating of or pointing to Jesus. This is the fundamental work of the Holy Spirit. All works motivated by him are simply intended to point to Jesus as Lord. And so with this simple filter, we now have a way to discern ministry. You say, what do you mean discern ministry? Okay, how many have ever been in services, in gatherings where kind of strange, weird stuff happens? And the first question that comes to mind is, is that God? That's not the question we're supposed to be asking. Paul's statement is, is it drawing towards attention, elevating Jesus? Is it causing people to lean towards him? Or is it pulling them away? Why would Paul say that? I'll give you what I think. I think the scripture supports it. If we don't have that kind of discipline and filter, we're going to tend to evaluate things based on preference. Do I like it? Does it make me feel comfortable? Do I understand it? You know, because if it doesn't work between my ears, it can't be God. There's a story that's a little out of context, but it is a very clear picture of this idea. In 2 Samuel, I think it's 6, David comes in, brings the ark before him. Coming back into the city. Might be 1 Samuel, I can't remember. It's one of those two. It's 6 for sure. Comes in, he's dancing. He's a king. He has these royal robes. And he, he strips them off, and he's left in what is called a linen ephod, and it's a fairly thin garment, and it's, it's probably not the most modest thing he could have chosen to wear. But he's dancing before the ark because he's so excited that the presence of God is being brought back into the city. He's longed for it. He's hungered for it. And Scripture re reports that his wife, Mikhail, is, is in the window, and she looks down and she sees him, and she has contempt in her heart. And in her heart she says, oh, look how the king's dancing in front of all the girls. And the scripture says that, he, that is what she says. The scripture says she's barren immediately. The Lord strikes her barren. What am I trying to say? If we don't learn how to discern correctly, we'll stand in judgment. And judgment reduces the fruitfulness of our lives spiritually. We were not invited in a, into a spirit of judgment. We've been given ground rules for discernment. Why would Paul say that's so important? Because the phrasing that he uses about these gifts of the Spirit is that there's diversity in them. There's a lot of different ones, and they're given by the Holy Spirit. There's gifts, there's services, there's workings, there's a lot of different things. I actually think they're as unique as we are, and it's the Holy Spirit's pleasure to work through us because he loves being co-labors with us. He loves to do something in partnership with us. He's not just there saying, I'm gonna do this and you'll figure it out. I wanna work with you. I want your unique DNA to be part of this, and so I'm gonna express myself to the world around you through you. And if we don't understand how to discern correctly the simple question, hey, is that unto Jesus or is it pulling away? We're going to sit in judgment, critiquing everyone's gifting. And what Paul's trying to create is an environment where people are encouraged to chase after what God's doing in their hearts. Three words come up that are important. Gifts, service, and work. This word gift means supernatural endowment. It's a grace or it's an ability that we don't have on our own. It's not one that we earned by working. 
It's not one that we went to school and managed. It's something that he gave us that's unique and special. Well, what are they? There's a lot of different ones. We'll look more at them in the weeks to come and what Paul will break down. This next word, service, is diakonos. The word actually is, is very clearly connected to one who takes orders or executes the commands of another. I would say in our modern culture, it's being part of a team. Ministry is not just in church. Tell me it's not diakonos, it's not ministry. When we show up at work and we have a great heart, we're hardworking, we can take orders from someone and execute them because we're under the tutelage of the king and we understand everything I do reflects him. I don't care if my boss is irritating to me, I reflect him. My chain of command is so much higher than my boss, but my king will not allow me to violate earthly authority. That's diakonos, it's ministry. When you're here serving in hospitality or with the children or, or you're here in the worship ministry and you're just there going, hey, you know, there's, there's a chain of command. Somebody's in charge. I know how to do my job and take orders. I don't get offended if I didn't come up with it on my own. That's diakonos. It's ministry. And there's different expressions given to all of us that are almost unique to us. The third word, you have gifts, you get service, and then you've got outworkings. Energies is the root word in the Greek. And it's simply, I would call it this, supernatural sweat equity. It's when we just get involved and go, you know what, I can help. I, do, anybody ever watch, uh, was it Big Bot? Remember watch that one movie? It was a kid's animated movie. And the, co- the, like, the tagline was, see a need, fill a need. Anybody know which one I'm talking about? Big Weld, that was, that was his name. Yeah, it's a cartoon, you'll figure it out. Robots, Robots there you go, yeah. See, I had little kids, and they were boys, and we watched that like 7,000 times. See a need, fill a need. What an amazing motto for the church. You know what? I can see a need. I can give myself to it because the Holy Spirit will meet me as I work towards something and give me the grace to do it. And Paul will come back down and wrap it up in verse 7 and say it this way. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means to helping the entire church. Every single person has a gift. Whether it's a, a gift or a service or an outworking, we all have something. And there's an interesting word phrase here, so we can help each other. The word phrase means to bear together, to collect as in a storehouse, to be efficient unto profitability. What that tells me is that we're not going to be able to do what God's called us to do in our day and in our time until we all fully embrace the reality that we matter, our gifts matter, and we need to engage them because it matters to God that we're doing what he's given us to do. He's built it that way. We all matter. And if you've ever sat wondering, I wonder, wish I could have a gift, you have a gift. You have to repent of that and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for saying that because your word says, I am gifted, I am graced, and I want to know how to leverage it for your kingdom. I want to know how to move it forward, Lord, so I can lift people to you, and I need, your wit- I need you to witness to my heart where I'm supposed to be. I will tell you my personal rule, try something and figure it out. If you get into a, mi- a ministry expression, you're like, that's totally not me. It's okay. Keep searching. 
Each of us as his son and his daughter have a unique grace and gift that's been given to us. Will those graces shift and move through time in our lives? Yes. So maybe you used to do this thing, but God's doing something new now. Great, embrace the season. He has the right to shift and change. But to not walk in that function, Paul says, makes us weaker and less profitable. We're not talking about finance. We're talking about the ability to execute the job. Let's stand this morning. Three takeaways for us this morning. Number one, I should expect a grace, a ministry, or a gift to be released through me. It is right for each of us to expect to see ministry grace, ministry service, and ministry work released through us. It's also right for us to expect it to be released from all of us, all those around us. And we're invited to watch and encourage ministry to point to Jesus. If there's one takeaway I want for all of us, it's this simple thing. The Holy Spirit is always going to be about placing Jesus at the center. I'll tell you straight up, for, for, for me, worship is the most important thing we do. Because it's that moment where he is elevated, he's the focus, and there's nothing in the way. It's where we get lost with him and we just pour out our affections on him. Father, we love you today. We're grateful for your goodness and for your mercy. It's just been good to be in your house today. It's been good to be with your people today. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for seeing us as we were and knowing what we could be. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for gracing us. We honor your work. We honor the gifts you release, and we cry out as you, will you teach us as we study this book? Will you teach us what it looks like to walk in our giftedness, to walk in our ministries, to walk in, in the works you've called us to? We need you to lead, and we want to follow, because we want Jesus lifted over this city, and we want to see things in our day and in our time that we've never seen before. We're crying out, Lord, to see a move and a revival in this region in our day and in our time. We love you, and we honor you. May your face shine upon us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. See you here. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.